Well, I believe God would talk to us through his word this morning about beauty, about beauty. And I remember hearing someone say something like this once, that beauty is the place where the eternal meets our everyday experience, which I think is a really lovely definition, Uh, a place where the eternal meets our, our everyday experience. And it's like a fountain. And that picture stuck in my mind because I think it really captures something of our experience of beauty when we encounter it in everyday things. When you uh, see someone as beautiful, I think it's probably uh, to do with the fact that you capture something of the fact that they're made in the image of God. You know, when you see uh, a beautiful scene, a landscape or something like that, it's not just because it's aesthetically, you know, good or whatever. It's actually, I think we capture something of God's heart in terms of gifting us that beautiful view. And beauty has a unique quality in the sense that it keeps us coming back. It keeps us coming back for more. It's, and I, that's the, the essence of this idea of it being a fountain, is it, somehow it's always fresh. When we find something beautiful, we want to keep looking at it. We want to keep being near it or close to it. You know, and we never get tired of it. If something's just good, like a good meal, you eat it and then you're full up and then you don't want one for, another, for, for a while. But when something's beautiful, you keep coming back for more. And so beauty has this unique power in our lives to, to move us, to refresh us, and to uh, uh, surprise us and to give us life. And, uh, you know, that's probably the most powerful experience we have of that is if you fall in love, for those of you who've had that experience, you fall in love and you just want to spend time with that person, you just want to keep uh, looking at that person. Oh, and you remember, it's not that long ago. <laughs> <laughs> You want to, you know, you talk to the person. You just keep, you know, coming back for more, and um, so that, so it's our everyday experience. But it's also something the Bible has a, a lot to say about as well. It's not just a, it's not just from experience. It isn't just a philosophical thing. It's something that actually is supposed to be part of our relationship with God. That we are to find Him beautiful. Does that idea make sense? Does it appeal to you? We're supposed to find Jesus beautiful. And so the psalmist writes in Psalm 27, we've all heard it already, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. I just, I don't know if I can preach it, but I get it, (laughs) what he's saying, you know. I think I've experienced that. Times, not all the time, but times in my Christian life when, I just want to keep coming back to God and spend time with him yeah, in lots of different ways. Well, there's something in this uh, Matthew's account, the way he writes about the call of the first four disciples, Simon, Pe- uh, Simon Peter, his brother Andrew, and the two brothers, James and John. He wants us to see that their call, if you like, taps into this beauty. We get it in, the, in uh, firstly, uh, Simon Peter and Andrew, who, who uh, it says, at once they went and followed Jesus. Come and follow me, I will make you fishers of men. You know, it's, it's not, what is it about Jesus? What is it about his words? There's something beautiful in there, isn't there? It's something hard to describe, to encapsulate. It's not the very words he chose, although they are poetic and beautiful because they were fishers, they became fishers of men. It's not just that, is it? There's something more than that that captures them about Jesus. It is an astonishing thing. They they go straight away at once. They leave behind their job and they follow Jesus. That's amazing, isn't it? That's our relationship with Jesus should have that power in our lives, shouldn't it? And James and John, he sort of goes even further. Immediately, 
there is this sense of almost they're compelled, they're, they're pulled out of their current situation. Immediately, they leave their, they left their boat and their father. It echoes something Jesus says, doesn't it? Um, we've got to be willing to hate our mother and father, not literally, but you know, in terms of how much we're drawn to Christ and willing to follow him. And they, hear these, they've never heard that teaching. They haven't heard that yet. But immediately, they leave everything. And in uh, uh, the customs of the time and the place, it would have been immoral for them to leave behind good, solid work that they were providing for their family and probably for their uh, mother, father, you know, their elders as well. That would have been frowned upon, except for one exception, that you were called to study God's law. And here are these fishermen. Jesus calls and they leave everything because they recognize in him not just the law, but the one he wrote it. Jesus is irresistible. He's beautiful. And if it's true that beauty is the place where eternity meets our everyday experience, then Jesus is one, has got to be the epitome of that, hasn't he? God become man. So who wouldn't be drawn to him? And Matthew captures that, the beauty of this scene, um, so skillfully, like an artist. He paints the foreground, the focus very well for us. If we see Jesus and we can almost, I don't know, when I picture the scene, I can almost feel myself there standing on the shores of Lake Galilee. But he also gives us the background as well. And there's more, there are more beautiful things going on here. So we've got, for example, um, the fulfillment of prophecy. Matthew notes, Jesus retires to Capernaum, to the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. And then so you've got the beauty of something that God spoke to the people, uh, uh, to his people through Isaiah, hundreds and hundreds of years before. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, is now being fulfilled. Isn't it beautiful the way God weaves the threads of history together to point to Jesus? That there are hundreds, thousands of examples of uh, evidence uh, in the Old Testament, that all point to and accredit the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, the, the one long awaited for. And each of those things is not just in the text, but it's actually in history. That God's weaving it together like a tapestry to say, here's my son. He's preparing the way. And here it is being fulfilled. Not in principle, not as an idea, not as some religious thing that happens, you know, somewhere, somewhere, but in a particular place at a particular time. It all comes to a, to a head. I think that's beautiful. There's a beauty in the details. Like there's this, there's, there are no throwaway lines in the Bible. You could believe there were, but they really aren't. Every word is inspired. You know, in uh, Galatians, Paul interprets one word on the basis that it's, you know, it's not a plural, it's a singular. <laughs> the presence of an S, literally, changes the, his interpretation. No, there are no throwaway words in the Bible. And here, so what almost could be a throwaway line in Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, on the way to the sea, the literal translation. At the time, by the time Jesus is there in this place, the, there was a Roman road called the Via Maris, which is literally the way of the sea. <laughs> isn't that amazing? It's beauty, isn't it? God arranges, he orders our lives in such detail. It's beautiful. There's beauty in the fact that it's not just a fulfillment of prophecy, but that it's in Galilee, that it's, that it's Zebulun and Naphtali. Zebulun and Naphtali were the first two tribes to be taken into captivity. First two tribes to be taken into exile because of where they were geographically, hundreds of years before this. So what better place to announce God's rescue plan? Isn't that amazing? God's rescue plan. And it's not just 
uh, like we heard in, uh, from Isaiah 49 last week. It's not just the rescue plan to reunite the, the tribe, the people of Israel and bring them back together and under God and worshipping, you know, knowing him fully. It's not just Israel we're talking about. This is, Matthew is picking up on, this is God's rescue plan for the world that we, by the time we get to the end of Matthew, it's, it's the gospel going out, you know, to the whole world, to all the nations. What better place than this, uh, uh, the first place to be captured? It's too small a thing. Remember that? So he's hinting at this bigger mission. And then you've got the, the beauty of salvation itself. Verse 16. I think this is beautiful. Uh, the, the people living in darkness, picture it. We're so familiar with it. Just picture it for a moment. Uh, an endless darkness, living in night. You know, it's like the Arctic Circle. It's winter. You can't get stuff done. You know, pe- the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death. Beauty. A light has dawn. Isn't that an amazing, beautiful description of our salvation? A light has dawned. Here is, in this moment, Jesus walking on the, uh, in this place, on the shore, towards Simon Peter and Andrew. Here is the sunrise of salvation. There's, I think there's even beauty in men. I don't know why I find that particularly captivating. Men busy at work, doing hard stuff, you know, rough-handed, fishy-smelling, you know, Simon Peter doing their everyday stuff and Jesus comes and they drop everything for him. Isn't there something beautiful in that? Isn't there something beautiful in men submitting to Jesus Christ? You know, I, I think often, and I don't mean that in a sexist way, women model things that, in particular that, that we, men need to see. Women model humility so brilliantly, but men model meekness brilliantly. Because when you see, you know, the strength of men, uh, and the, that natural authority submitted to the one who's, who's even, even higher authority. There is something beautiful about that. I think there's something beautiful about fishermen saying, yeah, I'll, I'll, whatever you say, I'll do it. <laughs> I think there's something beautiful about that. And honestly, aside from all those things, like I said at the beginning, it's just, I think, a beautiful scene. I want to be there. I want to be on the shore of Galilee, feel the warm wind, the waves lapping against the boat, the sound of men shouting across <laughs> the water. They, you know, throw the net over here, whatever. I want to be there. It's a beautiful scene, isn't it? So, God wants to speak to us about beauty. So here's the point. Jesus is beautiful. Refreshing. Endlessly fascinating life-giving. We shouldn't ever tire of him. We shouldn't ever get bored of spending time in his presence. We should find him compelling and irresistible. We should be willing to drop everything at his slightest word to follow him. Do you find him to be so? Is that your experience of what it means to follow Jesus? Has it been your experience so far? Is it your experience right now? I think that's just the question God wants to ask us this morning. Do you find Christ beautiful? God wants us to be transfixed by him. Last week, uh, I think as well as preaching, I've just got a memory of the words in my ears. Um, so I think somebody prayed out loud or said out loud, restore our first love. 
Restore our first love. It's a, something we hear in church quite often, isn't it? Restore our first love. And I think there's something wonderful about that phrase uh, because it captures something of what I think God wants to do for us this morning. When, like I said before, when you fall in love, for those of you who experienced that particular thing, beauty is a huge part of it, isn't it? It's, it's, you can't write a list of all the things of why you fall in love with somebody. It's more of a feeling. You feel more captivated. Uh, and if you almost if you try and elucidate and list all those different things, actually you kind of somehow you'd break it, wouldn't you? But there's something instinctive. You know you found what you're looking for. Does that make sense? And that's how God wants us to feel about Jesus. So I think that's a beautiful phrase. I, and but at the same time, I think God wants us to fill it out as well. I think He wants us to. He think He wants to restore our first love. He wants us to be in love with Christ and to find him beautiful, but not simply in the sense of when we couldn't put it into words. I think he wants us, uh, he wants to emphasize for us this morning how important it is that we find Christ beautiful in every part of our faith. You know, so it's not just a feeling, but actually we're driven in our faith. So much of the engine of our faith, what motivates us and moves us is that we find Christ beautiful. And, and I think God wants us, wants to emphasize that for us this morning. It's not just that what we believe is true and therefore we do it because it's true. It's not just because it has good results. There's something about coming into Jesus' presence and realizing all the, all that's amazing about him that moves us to a full and healthy Christian life. Beauty has to be the driver. Does that make sense? That we have to be captivated by him. And Again, we can go back to our own experience. In a marriage, for example, you have first love, but it should blossom into true love, shouldn't it? Into a full love. Now, a full love is not opposed to a first love. It's not kind of, you know, that's the, the world's view, isn't it? You fall in love and then you get married and then everything's really boring. And <laughs> that's what first commonly portrayed, isn't it? Right? <laughs> But actually, the way it's supposed to work is that that thing you first experience becomes fuller and fuller and more detailed so that you begin to understand why you had all that. I found what I'm looking for. You begin to understand that in detail as, as that love matures. And that's where the beauty comes in, isn't it? It goes from something instinctive, inchoate and unformed and becomes gradually clearer and clearer and bigger and bigger. But without ever losing that wonder, there's always that sense. And again, you guys who are married, you understand what I mean. There's always that sense that I never fully know the other person. And if that's true of human beings, how much more is it true between us and God? That we should be constantly excited, if you like, constantly, wow, there's more to know. So even as we become more able to understand the benefits, if you like, or why we fell in love with him, we never lose that wonder, and God wants us to have that wonder in our faith. He wants us to have that wonder. So I was thinking about this in the Bible, and I was thinking about um, the Song of Songs, which I'm just going to turn to. <laughs> and I was just thinking about how bride in the Song of Songs says this about her lover. She doesn't just say, I'm in love with him. She doesn't just say, I long for him. She writes this, Song of Songs, uh, chapter 5, verse 10. My lover is radiant and ruddy, outstanding among 10,000. Let me just preface this, actually. This is the description of a woman's love for her fiancé. 
But this is pales in comparison to how we should feel about Jesus. My lover is radiant and ruddy, outstanding among 10,000. His head is purest gold. His hair is wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves. By the water streams, washed in milk, mounted like jewels. His cheeks are like beds of spice, yielding perfume. His lips are like lilies, dripping with myrrh. His arms are rods of gold, set with cries alight. His body is like polished ivory, decorated with sapphires. His legs are pillars of marble, set on bases of pure gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as its cedars. His mouth is sweetness itself. He is altogether lovely. This is my lover, this is my friend, though daughters of Jerusalem. beating heart of our faith and the thing that distinguishes it from being merely dutiful or just merely good is that we feel like that about Jesus is that okay to say that? it's not too weird to sort of, it sounds like we're being too romantic about God we should feel like that about Jesus we should be able to list his, you know, his hair, his eyes, his shoulders, his feet. You know, that we should be able to list all the things about why he is amazing. And that should move us to, to live and for him and worship him and follow him, drop everything for him. That we are kind of obsessed with him, but in a, you know, perfectly healthy way. Beauty has the power to move us to do what would things that would otherwise be impossible it has the power to motivate us to attempt impossible things which is really good because the christian life humanly speaking is impossible isn't it only with god's power and i think our part is to be captivated by beauty and to trust that actually what seems impossible for us god can do in our lives it moves us to impossible things That's, um, what came to mind as i was thinking about this was um uh, that famous speech by martin luther king where he talks about, I have a dream. You know, and he was facing a situation in the United States where he had all the complications of uh, racial inequality, the whole civil rights movement. It's you know, something impossible to achieve at the time, seemed impossible. There were so many in, entrenched difficulties in what they were trying to achieve. And yet he stands up and gives this speech that is beautiful. He's here, and just a tiny little quote from it. I have a dream that one day the Red Hills of Georgia, in, in, on the Red Hills of Georgia, sons of former slaves and the sons of former slaves' owners will be able to sit down at the table of brotherhood. And so he goes on, you know, that famous, famous speech. What is it about that that captivated people? Is it justice? Well, yes. Is it the goodness and the rightness of the solution? Yes. Is it that it's a, it's a good cause to get behind? Yes. But there's something about that speech that captures the beauty of what God created us to be, isn't it? That we, we're truly equal, all made in God's image. That's what's powerful about that speech. Beauty drives us to hope and hope is essential for the Christian life. God calls us again and again and again to do hard, hard things. To leave everything and follow him. To take risks that nobody else would take in relationships, in vocation, in all sorts of different ways. And it's that being captivated by his beauty that drives us to it. So do you find Jesus beautiful? There are different areas of this life, uh, of life that this applies to. 
Um, uh, elders uh, on Thursday, we were talking about our time together on Sunday mor- mornings. And with this sermon in mind, I was thinking about, you know, what is it we're trying to do in church on a, a Sunday? What's the, what's the feeling we're trying to get <laughs> as we come, as God's people, we gather together and meet with him? You know, what's our criteria? Actually, beauty is one of the things. But it's beautiful for God's people to come together and worship. And actually having hope that what we do here can be beautiful for God and therefore attractive to people around is is actually part of of what should should drive how we we worship uh, when we meet together on Sundays. But you know, that that sense of what's possible, that sense of beauty, uh, helps us to get through the difficulties. When church falls short, and I don't just mean Sunday mornings, I mean in lots of different ways, actually that sense of the beauty of what God is trying to do among us helps to get us through those things. So often, you know, as pastor, and maybe you hear from other people as well, church falls short, doesn't it? Our fellowship. We're treated in ways that we don't like to be treated, or something happens and, and uh, we feel let down, and then there's that instinct in us to, to cut ourselves off, to distance ourselves from somebody, or even to break fellowship altogether. What gets you through that challenge? What, what drives you to say, do you know what, I'm, I'm not going to give up. It could be the authority of God's word that says you must forgive. It could be the goodness you know, of, of that, and it could be that trust. But I, I put it to you, that actually an important part of that, the thing that keeps our heart in it is the, the beauty of what God wants to achieve. It's the beauty of forgiveness. It's the beauty of, of showing grace to one another. It's, it's that beauty that captures us. And when we see someone say sorry, or we see someone say, I forgive you, or we see someone put aside uh, a petty squabble, or we see someone work, you know, not give up on a relationship, or not give up on a church and remain in fellowship, that's beautiful, isn't it? I think it's beautiful. It's beautiful because it reflects the heart of God. You know, I, I have this, frankly, in a human sense, this, foolish obsession with the unity of the church you know like the, you know we did the ecumenical service last week and that sort of thing it's hard work sometimes it's really boring you know it's not to my taste you know it's it's inconvenient it's completely unrealistic what drives me personally I'm saying now it's the beauty of it like Jesus prayed, you know, one of his last prayers on earth was for the unity of the church. May they be one. Father, as you and I are one. And not just because Jesus prayed it, because as I hear those words, the beauty of that possibility, you know, that people all over the world of every tribe, tongue and nation could worship together in a way that's visibly one to the world around, that gives glory to God and, and accredits Jesus Christ as his son. That's a compelling vision. And because of that, despite the difficulties, I want to follow Jesus. What drives us to be Christ-like in our, in our piety? You know, we talked about church as a whole. What about in our personal lives? You know, it's the beauty of Christ that shapes our, our personal relationship with him. I said, you know, uh, about... There's something amazing, uh, something beautiful about the men putting down their nets and following Jesus. In 1 Timothy, uh, Paul writes to Timothy about, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands. Isn't that beautiful? 
something about men's hands, isn't there, being lifted up in prayer? Isn't there something beautiful about that? Does that sound weird? <laughs> I don't think it's weird. Paul writes, I want women to show you the inner beauty of a quiet and gentle spirit. Isn't there something beautiful about that? The contrast to the world around us, the world that is pushing and promoting and seeking attention and all that sort of Isn't there something genuinely beautiful, a contented, quiet spirit that's beautiful in the eyes of God and therefore it rests in that? Isn't there something uniquely beautiful about that? What will drive you to, uh, to prayer in your own life? Aside from uh, the fact that, you know, the Bible says we should pray and your pastor says you should pray and, you know, what will get you to the prayer meeting or what will get you up in the morning to pray? I, I put it to you that it's more than anything else. It's the beauty of requited love. That when we pray, it's not because it's useful. It is useful. It's not because you can write a little checklist and say, when I pray, this happens, this happens, this happens. Because actually, frankly, and you know it from experience, it's not always like that in prayer, is it? Sometimes our prayers aren't answered. Sometimes we don't come into God's presence and feel him close to us. What's beautiful about a prayer is requited love. It's that the heart of God who uh, relentlessly searches for us and loves us and pours out all his passion and love towards us as individuals is in some way returned by those who are unworthy of it. But just in some small way, I seek to spend time with my creator and my father who loves me. That I've heard those words, I love you, and I'm just willing to give them back. Isn't that what's... That, that will get you through the dry times. That will get you out on a cold Thursday night or whatever it is to a, a prayer meeting. That, that's what is so important in terms of the Christian life. That's the beauty of it. I think that's what... You know, I think of uh, Paul writing one of his letters from a prison cell, you know, a few metres square, rejoicing and praising God. And I'm convinced that beauty was part of how he got through it. It wasn't a pleasant experience. It wasn't an effort of will. It was that he saw a life poured out in sacrifice. It's beautiful in God's eyes. And that filled him with, I genuinely think that filled him with joy. So the same for us, you know, as we follow uh, Christ, as we pour out our lives for other, others, seeing that the beauty of the cross lived out for each one of us in, in a thousand different ways. It's what gets us through the difficult challenges. It's what enables us to forgive, you know, to persevere in difficult situations. I think about Alpha as well. I think the beauty of salvation has got to be one of the things that drives us to share the gospel, isn't it? As Mark shared this morning, isn't it beautiful that we get to play a part in people's eternal destiny by sharing the gospel with them? Isn't it going to be beautiful to see people come into a realisation of God's forgiveness, to repent, and be forgiven of their sins. Wouldn't it be beautiful to see peace descending like dew in the morning on someone's life where it's been dry, empty, restless? Isn't that, wouldn't it be beautiful? Shouldn't that drive us to share the gospel? We want to see these things in people's lives. Isn't it a beautiful thing to see uh, chains broken? 
and prison and set free. God does these things. This is why we should be excited about salvation, because it's a beautiful thing to see people made in the image of God being restored to their creator. It's beautiful. It's beautiful to see people stumbling around in darkness. You know, I don't, maybe there's someone here this morning who doesn't know Jesus, I don't know, who's, who's never encountered Jesus in his beauty. I just want to say to you, when I first encountered him, really consciously encountered him as a boy, I couldn't have put it into words. But I knew all those things I've just spoken about, chains broken and light dawning and peace and forgiveness. Without being able to put them into words, I knew I'd found it. And if you find Jesus, you'll find all those things. He's beautiful. He's the pearl of great price. God wants us to find Jesus beautiful. And let me just say about that, sharing the gospel, this isn't just about Alpha, this is about us as a church, our willingness to share the gospel. We get to be part, not just individuals, but just as the the gospel went out from Jerusalem to Samaria to the ends of the earth, we get to be part of this picture that Matthew is painting for us. A light has dawned. Galilee of the Gentiles, you know, the the gospel going out to, to the whole world from Jerusalem, Samaria, to the world, to the country, to country, a nation to nation, island to island, to the farthest shores of the world. We get to be part of that. We get to see uh, the treasures of kings being brought into God's kingdom and laid at Jesus' feet. We get to see every valley exalted and every hill and mountain laid low. We get to be part of that amazing thing. As Isaiah says, rough places made plain, crooked places made straight. The glory of the Lord revealed and all flesh seeing it together. As we share God's good news, we are part of that beautiful picture. Part of every knee bending, every tongue confessing. The whole creation set free. So a simple question for us this morning. Do you find Jesus beautiful? Do you want to be captivated by him? Do you want to be able to drop everything when you hear his call? Where are you at with that? That's, that's all God's asking. It's not an accusation. It's not condemnation. It's not even approval if you know, you're feeling in a good place. It's an invitation. Do you find Jesus beautiful or irresistible? Why would we ever resist that pull? I feel God would just ask that question through his word. If something is beautiful, why would we ever pull away? Why would we ever you know, resist that? The same reason I resist going to look at the stars on a clear night when I've got work to do, because I'm worried that I'll spend too much time <laughs> doing it. The same reason you know, I don't go to a best friend's house in the middle of the day when I've got loads of work to do, because I'm worried how much time I'll spend doing it. We resist because we're worried about being captured. 
And there's some people here this morning who are worried about being caught. Caught by the fisher of men. <laughs> caught by Jesus. There's nothing to worry about. There's nothing to worry about. There's no reason to resist or run away. His every intention for you is wonderful, perfect and good. Is wise and lovely beyond measure. He's delightful. God wants us to move to that place where with the psalmist we say, God, you are my God. For you I long. My soul is thirsting. My body pines for you like a dry, weary land without water. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. For your love is better than life. Simple invitation this morning. Hear Jesus' call. Be willing to drop everything. Ask God for that encounter with him that captivates you and renews your first love.